Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Bearded Mystics Oneness Conversations with Gary Haskins. He is, in my opinion, one of the famous YouTubers that we have that creates great interviews with people in the spiritual circles. He asks the right questions. He delves deep. And I've been on the show once. It's Conscious Perspective, and it's really, really good. Do check it out. The link is in the show notes to his channel, so make sure you do check him out. And uh, so the first question, Gary, and welcome. Uh, it's nice to see you after a couple of years. Although I've, been, although I've been seeing you actually on my feed a lot. Um, <laughs> so, so, but now we're is, tapped in. Yes. So the first question is, how did the spiritual path uh, actually catch your attention? You know, why did you want to get involved in it? Hmm. It's a tough one. I never know how to answer that. I was always inclined. I don't know where it came from. Maybe previous lives, as some say. But I was always inclined with a sense of curiosity at what all of this was, man. Because I feel as though, or I felt as though, it never made sense. It was just, there was some kind of incongruence in how the whole world was set up and how I was supposed to be, how I was supposed to sound, how I was supposed to look, etc., etc. So there was always like a sense of curiosity of wanting to find out what's real because I was like, this is, something's not adding up here. Like there's just something that just didn't resonate. There was not a lot of resonance, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. um, so that, like I said, led me down a sense of curiosity, but that curiosity was very material minded. Back in the day, I'll say, I don't know, my teen years to my early 20s, I was a pragmatic atheist, material minded. If it couldn't be proven with science, then it didn't exist kind of mind. So I was curious in that way, which I think is a good first step, right? Mm-hmm wanting answers to certain questions just using proofs and maybe mathematics to prove it from there hmm, how did i get into spirituality from there because i do feel as though that is a sort of spirituality but it's like it's not quite there you know it's not quite the level of yoga mm -hmm. hmm it's a tough one how did I get in that? You know, honestly, it probably came from a sense of still, even though I was still searching for answers in books, in, in the material world, the material mind, there was still that yearning inside, still like a sense of dissatisfaction. Mm -hmm. I was like, I guess reached a breaking point of just certain mental illnesses, you know, just um, somewhere along the way, it still didn't add up. This was mid-20s, I'd say. Still looking for something, looking, seeking something, something. I don't know what it was, but still just the curiosity never ended. And then, like I said, certain mental ailments came about. I wanted to improve that naturally as I hopefully we all would got into meditation 
because I heard uh, all of the beautiful benefits of meditation. And from there, I think that's when it started. I think that's when the whole path started was when I learned to just sit with that sense of mind, that sense of seeking, that sense of dissatisfaction, and just be curious at that. Be, what is that? What is the, the one? Where is this all coming from? The one that is dissatisfied. Sitting with that every day in a ritualized manner. I think that is how the whole spiritual path came to be, is rather than questioning everything from the outside, the world, like I said, this world that didn't add up, that just seemed to be backwards, turning that focus inward, that switched up everything. Hmm. Um, And it did actually help my mental ailments. I would say my depression, anxiety, all of the uh, mental illness that I was probably born with, it seemed to be mitigated. But that was just a byproduct. That just came along the way, I think, from the looking inward. Um, mm. So, yeah. Uh, does that answer your question? It's it, more of just no. staying on a curious path. Yeah, no, that's really beautiful. And I think um, I really like the fact that you said that it was a byproduct and not the direct cause, because I think sometimes people can, uh, as you probably know, people probably come onto the spiritual path thinking it will get rid of all their problems, and sometimes it can bring in more problems than the actually. Very true. Um, very true. So, I think ultimately, though, it does help. I think that's why we do it. I mean, yes. getting right into this thing, I think we suffer so that it can align us with this so-called spiritual path. I really do think there's no other way to go about it. We all have this sense of inertia, just like this density in our head. And there's no way to untangle that until you follow the path. And I would recommend just meditation. I know there's many different yogas, well, four different yogas, as they would say in the Gita. But me personally, I would recommend meditation to everybody. And it's not going to work for everybody, but I think a vast majority of people can benefit from regular meditation. And it won't necessarily, um, how do I put this? Yeah, it won't get rid of your suffering. It will just allow you to look at it a little bit differently, which then you could say thus does get rid of it per se, but it's nothing to get rid of. It's just a transcendence through how one looks at the the, the seeming suffering person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You see, yeah, got you. So you mentioned the four yogas. So obviously, this one specifically is Raja Yoga, uh, that is mm-hmm. mainly talked about, and it's obviously expressed a lot through Swami Vivekananda Ji's writings uh, and, and lectures. So did that? Did you ever read his um, book on Raja Yoga, and how did that help? If you did, no, I actually haven't. Um, I know I probably should have, and. I, sound a little fake for not reading it, but I know much of Swami Vivekananda and what he has to say. I just haven't dove into that specific book. And I know a lot about Raja Yoga. I just um, have yet to explore his actual, well, I've explored his writings, just not in a full, you know, like a full book in a manner where I sit down and go through hundreds of pages, but I do know of it very well. Yeah. So how did you Mm -hmm. come across Raja Yoga then? Hmm. 
I don't know, man, just mm-hmm. along the way, along the way of just learning meditation somehow. Oh, it's probably through the Gita. I think the Gita was probably the mm. first explanation of Raja Yoga. Most likely. Um, but yeah, it was just, uh, I went through a yoga 200 hour teaching course, and that was probably a very fair introduction to the whole idea of Raja Yoga, Mm -hmm. which that was just the tip of the iceberg, but still, I think it was a good introduction into it, you know, a good platform. Yeah. Yeah. That's good to hear because a lot of the, um, nowadays because these um yoga courses are good business um they hardly talk about these um philosophical aspects now so it's kind of nice that at least your course talked about uh the gita and how raja yoga was kind of uh, kind of implied by Sri krishna quite a bit actually uh, when we think Mm. about it in fact if you want to say the whole um i would say the whole Gita itself, the underlying aspect is that you're meant to be centered when you read it. And it's mm. when you're centered, you get that focus like urgent, uh, where you can finally, you know, get over the the pains and ailments of life and the material attachments. So it's, it's interesting because people would mm. think, uh, um, Sri Krishna is only about one path or, you know, there's schools of thoughts that just be like, oh, no, he's only about bhakti or he's only about uh, jnana yoga. But actually, it's, I think all four of them are intertwined and infused within it and you can't deny one of the other. But like you said, everyone can have a uh, preference and, again, that's according to your karma or your past lives. Do you believe in past lives and um and and what's been your experience in like having uh maybe interviews with people who've spoken about their past lives have you ever had that and um and what's your view about it in general oh man depends on the day (laughs) (laughs) um i'm more inclined to say yes that we Mm -hmm. do have past lives it seems to be the way of things somehow some way we are born over and over and over again and that might be why some of us have certain inclinations that others don't have. It's just like uh, remnants of past lives, other karma that we have to reap. You know, why are some people so good when they're born mm-hmm. at guitar or they're so such good singers or just have a knack? We all have our knacks. So most likely it's remnants from other lives. And it seems just right, man. Doesn't it? Like when you meditate on reincarnation, it seems like, yeah, that's just, that's just how it be. That's just how it is. And one could say, oh, you're just coping because you're afraid to die. Like you want to be reborn. Mm-hmm. No, actually, that's not the good news. If you look into Eastern philosophy, you don't want to live forever. Like that's the bad news. Yeah, you've been in this thing <laughs> for millions and millions and millions of lives. It's called samsara. And you don't want to do that again. So it's not a coping mechanism. It's just actually facing the truth that, whoa, wait a second. I'm in this perpetual, I was going to say trap. It's not really a trap because you don't want to look at it like that. But if you're not aware of it, it could be a trap. Like if you're not aware of samsara, it's a trap of ultimate ignorance. Mm -hmm. So point of the story is, yes, I do believe in it. Um, And it's not because I want to believe in it. 
You know what I mean? It's yes. not because my fear is convincing me that like, oh yeah, we live forever. No, it's actually seems like that's just how it is. That's just the game, I guess you could say. And I don't think you can read that from a book. I don't think it's something that somebody can tell you. You just have to go within yourself, meditate earnestly. Can't emphasize that enough. And just that would just become apparent. It just becomes apparent. I'm not 100% sure of it. I'm not 100% sure of anything, but it just seems likely, very mm. likely that that is the thing. You, you mentioned, uh, I like what you said about how some people can utilize it as a coping mechanism. And there's so many people mm. that would turn around and say, well, I don't, you know, maybe in my next life I can look at spirituality. A lot of people in the Indian diaspora yeah. will say this. And it's mm-hmm. like, um, and my, my guru once asked this question, how do you not know that this is your last life? You know, why are you thinking that your last life is in the next one? You could actually be in it right now. So it's interesting that you said that. And I think a lot of people do utilize it as a coping mechanism to kind of perpetuate their ignorance and keep it going. That's, uh, yeah, that was really cool. Yeah. Uh, Thanks, really man. Cool. I don't yeah. believe it matters. I think uh, if this is our last one, Mm-hmm. or if we have a million after this it doesn't matter as in what i'm supposed to do here the dharma that gary imbues into the world isn't affected by millions of lives or this only life hmm. if you're truly if you're truly following your dharma in this life it doesn't matter that's just like another narrative that's just another story so you know what i mean by that yeah 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 i'm following yeah I'm following yeah. Yeah. So I don't like to get caught up in that because that can just be another story. That can just be like another trap. It's cool to talk about. And obviously I've talked about it plenty and it's cool to entertain. But at the end of the day, if you're truly, you know, in the now, in the here and now, following one's dharma, going with the logos, mm-hmm. if you're truly present, like truly present, like true presence, it doesn't matter. It really, it's mm-hmm. like, what, what does it matter, man? be here now, right? I'll tell you this story and hopefully I don't mess it up. Um, you've probably heard it. Most likely you've heard it before. There was this monk who was traveling on the road to heaven, on the road to God. And uh, along the way, he came across this dancing man. And uh, he said, hey, what's up, man? And he said, hey, where are you going? Oh, I'm just going to heaven and talk to God. He said, oh, cool. Can you ask him how many lifetimes I got left? Yeah, for sure. Walks on, walks on by. And then he sees another man sitting. The lotus posture. You know, the cliche monk just meditating under the Bodhi tree. Yeah. Interrupts his meditation. <laughs> Hello, sir. Hi. Uh, what's going on? Oh, I'm just going to visit God, going to heaven. Oh, cool. Uh, can you ask him how many lifetimes I got left? Yeah, sure, sure. So goes there, talks to God, lets him know the deal. On the way back, he sees, let me not mess this up. Yes, he sees the monk again. And he says, you know, obviously, talk to God. Yeah, man. Uh, Well, how many lifetimes I got left? He said, about five. And right then and there, the monk came out of his meditation, 
posture, angry. He's like, what do you mean five? I've been doing this. I've been on the path, doing all of these modalities, you know, <laughs> cliche, Raja, yogi, just angry, <laughs> just furious. What do you mean five lifetimes? So obviously that guy had to get out of there because the monk was getting angry. He, was, he wasn't happy <laughs> about the news. And he moves on further down the path and he sees the dancing man, just exuberant, just, oh, he's just, he's just, he's just having a great old time, right? Hey, what's up, man? You just talk to God? Yeah. How many lifetimes I got left? He said about 5 million. And then the dancing man goes, that's it. And he continues dancing on and on. <laughs> and he's just just still just dancing how he was dancing before and keeps going. The guy keeps going that talked to God and that's that's it. And that's the moral of the story is it doesn't really, how do I put this? You have to be present, man. It doesn't really matter what you do. It doesn't matter how many lifetimes you have left. You kind of just have to dance, the dance, you know? Mm-hmm. Um the spiritual path isn't something that looks a certain way to one person. I mean, well, how do I put this? It may look a certain way to one person, but it may apply differently to you. So Mm. how do I put this, man? The monk, he only had five, right? He may look like a spiritual person. Mm. He may look, look, look like he's in the moment, but... When he got the news that he he had five, he's pissed off. Hmm. Seems like a lot to him. Wasn't he doing a lot of work? And then the dancing man, he had five million. <laughs> he was okay with it. So who was more enlightened? I'd say the dancing man. Yeah. I, I'll go with that too. <laughs> you like it? It's a, it's a, I like that story. Yeah. I mean, one could argue and be like, well, is he really more enlightened if he has five million lifetimes left? I get that, but that's kind of going beyond the story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The story is be here now, and your your the spiritual path is kind of different for everybody. And if you're truly here now, I guess it doesn't matter. I don't know. That's that's that true. No, 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 that's true. That's true. I really like that story. I've heard it before, but it's it's a story that really I think no matter how many times you listen to it, uh, there's always another teaching you get from it. Another element that you can grasp and another nuance that can deepen your understanding as you mentioned all stories are like that all like um poetic how do i put this poetic what are those called what is this there's got to be a term for that i know there is like stories of the bible the parables parables that's the word i was looking for a true poetic good parable is like that Mm. you hear it Five fifty times, and all of those fifty times are different. Maybe it even gets better every time you hear it. I hope I told it right. I don't even know I, if I told it right. I, I think you did. You. If not, it's a better version. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's an evolved version, um, mm. and that's the way it should be. I don't think you know. Some people like things to be rigid in the way the story was told before but sometimes when you add your own flavoring and you're open about it it's kind of it actually helps um to bring more nuance yeah. i that's what i think anyway two men and i think that's what we're doing um right now once you link up to the dharma this may seem a little esoteric but i'm going there man when you once you link up to the dharma 
you become part of the story. So the story is、mm. not yet finished. The story is still ongoing. I feel like、uh, we've we think we've reached the end of evolution, evolution of consciousness, evolution of our bodies, and you know, in that in that way. But no, we're still evolving towards something else. And I feel like it's a sort of story. It's a sort of adventure that started millions and millions and millions of years ago. And you can become a part of it if you really want to.、Hmm. You know, like you can really you become a part of that with the word. Like the word is somehow in the parable, in the parables that we tell to each other. We become a part of that. It's quite powerful. You do, and 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 you're absolutely right, man. Like a lot of people, they they think stories aren't important. They do have a place, and I think at least if you're beginning, you should start with stories because it's a great、mm-hmm. way to use your imagination and to kind of. And I think imagination、uh, brings you to intuition eventually. That and that's when you can start grasping the deeper philosophies. Otherwise, yeah, if you go straight to the deeper philosophies, one, you may become as dry as hell, and two, <laughs> um. You know, you will miss. I think the juice of the truth.、Uh, yeah, you know, I agree. It, you can miss it. Yeah, because there's something about poetry that brings you beyond the mind, the mind stuff, just beyond the story itself. Like there's something where the story in a good parable or a good poem brings you to that place, the mind of the mind. Yes. 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 Yeah, t- totally get it, man. Like, I think, well, if you think about it, every、uh, like the Bhagavad Gita is actually a poem. It's a song. Yeah, it's the、uh, song of the Lord. Yeah,、mm-hmm. uh, the Ashtavaka Gita is a song. The song of Ashtavaka, the the, you know, the most radical non-duality. So it's like everything is done in poetic form. In fact. The Vedas,、yeah. the Upanishads, is purely po- poetry, and、yeah. I think people sometimes miss out on the fact that because they see it written、uh, and then they see the commentary, they think, "Oh yeah, that must be like some,、uh, you know, it's not, it's not poem, it's not a poem, but it really is." And I, I, I'm with you.、Uh, I think,、mm-hmm. I think there's a lot, like when you read a poem of Rumi's, and、mm. it can sometimes. Yeah, take you to that oneness straight away, and it's not、yeah. the words actually. It like there's something that's happening behind the words. It, it's it's yeah it's phenomenal, man. Yeah, right. Yeah, it is behind the words. That's a good way to put it. It's the magic behind the words. Yeah.、It's、and、like、mind you, that's a translation.、Though. Mind you, that's a translation as well. That's true too. Yeah.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's something special about Sanskrit. I imagine if I was fluent in Sanskrit, it would hit differently. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think so.、Um, sometimes I I listen to the Bhagavad Gita, the Upanishads.、Uh, now you can get it on it's on Apple Music. I'm sure it's on Spotify too,、um, where you can like listen. I'm sure it's on YouTube,、uh, where you can listen to、uh, pe- like monks chanting. The Bhagavad Gita, and I, I will tell you, it's a crazy experience. Just even listening to it,、uh, 
uh, even though I don't yeah. understand the Sanskrit, but there's mm. a power behind, uh, yeah. there's a vibration behind those sounds I know of the mean. eternal, you know? Some kind of transmission. Yeah. Which cannot be denied. <laughs> I mean, have you ever done um, kirtan with a group of people? Um, never with a group. Of, well, yeah, we, I have actually. Um, I, I've been to a few, even of the, um, mm. you know, when they're singing and the chanting, uh, the second to none, really. Uh, yeah. I, get, I give them that. I don't agree with their philosophy, but I'll say openly, no one can do kirtan or chanting like them. Uh, mm. like they're mm. brilliant. They're, they're, they're pros, man. But yeah, yeah I'm definitely pros. <laughs> but yeah, I've really, I, I really enjoy it because, uh, like, even um, like I listen to a lot of Sufi uh, Kavalis, and sometimes the music of the harmonium or the tabla beat uh, can just take you to the place of no sound. If that makes oh. sense. Yeah. You, you use the sound to go to the place with no sound. Yeah. Where the sound originates from. Yes. Wow. yes. That is what about, you, what about yourself? Um, um, have you been to like yeah. Kirtan and, and what's been your mm -hmm. experiences when you've attended? Very, very transcendent and transformative. Every time that I've done group Kirtan, it does transport you to... Hmm. Like you said, the place where the sound comes from, a place of no sound. You almost become the sound. You become the mantra. And mm. I feel as though it's exemplified with a group. Because I do plenty of kirtan myself. Nice. But when you're with a group, there's something. Like you all get tuned in and dialed in together. There's something that goes on. And especially Sanskrit. There's something about the connotations of Sanskrit. Like the actual... The, uh, how do I? I don't know what the right word is. Is it the verbiage? Like how it comes off of the tongue? There's mm. something just like so magical. Like for instance, if you, if you, I have songs that I listen to where it's in Sanskrit and they do it in English, and the same meaning in English, it just doesn't sound the same. It doesn't like the meaning is there. I understand what they're saying, but just how it just the the frequency is just completely different there's something so special about the language man and um it's definitely exemplified when you do it with a group somehow some way there's power to it but yeah putting it simply ultimately doesn't really matter what they say <laughs> doesn't really matter what words are used as long as you use it to bring you to that place yes. the place of no place Yes. You know, the place of stillness. Right. That's all that matters. You could use English. You could use Spanish, whatever language, whatever mantra, whatever reminder, whatever totem you decide to hold. doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, but Sanskrit, for some reason, is a very effective totem. It's a very effective yes. way to do that. I don't know why. I, don't now, know. I, I, th I think that's language in general. Um, but yeah, specifically Sanskrit, I think it's because it's been... Uh, it's maintained itself, uh, although people may argue that there is, um, some people may say, oh, you know, people don't speak Sanskrit as much anymore and, and stuff like that. There might be some people like that. But the fact that it's maintained itself despite so much invasion that's happened to India, um, mm. 
mm. the fact that it has still stayed relevant, I think yeah. is a testament to its origin. Mm. Um, and, and yeah, it's definitely from, uh, yeah, those rishis that were practicing Raj Yoga and they got that transmission and we read those transmissions today um, or we hear it. Uh, yeah, it's, you know it's coming from a place that's beyond this planet and this yeah. possibly <laughs> even this universe, uh, you know? Uh, yeah. Oh, man, that's good. I was reading something from the Upanishads from Sri Aurobindo. Yeah. And oh, I'm not going to articulate this well. He's so eloquent, man. Yeah, he is. I don't even know if I want to try. <laughs> but he's saying that, um, you know, the idea of the word became flesh in the Bible. Mm-hmm. That is the truth behind I don't even know if I want to I don't want to even destroy what he said but to your point I'm trying to touch upon your point of like this didn't come from this universe he's saying Mm -hmm. there's certain ways to use the word that we're speaking about now that are very poetic that point you toward the word of the word you know because word is just symbolism all words are just symbolizing something but if you use them in the right way, one that attunes with the logos, it turns that symbol on itself back in. And it doesn't come from here. Some other, like, I mean, you could say all is here, all is one in a true non-dual sense. I get that. But something that is beyond at least the material world. Like there's something, you can say God, it brings you to that place where it's all facilitated from. And it might also be because... Sanskrit is so old and so well-preserved that it brings you there. Because there had to be at one point in our evolution of consciousness where there was only one language, most likely, right? It only makes sense. Sanskrit is one of the oldest ones. There's probably just like, if there's a branch in a tree of languages, that is probably, it's insane at this point. Sanskrit's probably very close to the base layer of the original language. In the original language, most likely is the closest that was to God. Most likely, mm-hmm. if I had to imagine the original human language came from like intuition, and I believe mm-hmm. intuition is all stemming from God. So most likely, the further you go down the, the, the tree of language, you get closer to the symbolism that brings you most efficiently to God most efficiently mm. into the here and now if that makes sense yeah, yeah, yeah. you know what i'm getting yeah, at yeah 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 absolutely yeah absolutely yeah. and um and that's an interesting point because if we ever get to experience that original language i think it is through meditation mm-hmm. in my in my yeah. opinion like that's the mm-hmm. only way it could enter it's not like it's away from our consciousness it's there it's present you know it's very much there nothing ever dies so you know it's all about just really tapping into it it's been there yeah that's the thing yeah it's not it hasn't disappeared the word the capital w is always there and i don't think it's going to be in the form or not even going to be it's not in the form like when you access the word per se, the logos, it's not in the form of language. Yes, yes. It's through the whispers of intuition. I got that from Yogananda. That's not yeah. my 
original words. It's <laughs> the whispers of intuition. And if you don't still the mind and silent the mind enough, you're not going to be able to hear the whispers of mm. your intuition, the whispers of God. It's very subtle and it's not a language. You could compute it as a language, as a forethought, you know, but that comes afterward. Like that, that communication, that link up with the word, the logos, mm. which I've used plenty, it's something that is, um, you can feel it. You can definitely feel it, become one with it, become ac very acquainted with mm. the intuitional whispers. But it's not something that is like downloaded, like, um, how do I put this? It's not like a voice in my head. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes, yes. <laughs> it's more of just like a subtle direction and subtle discernment mm. that you can yes. tap into. But it's not like I have demons talking to me. Or yeah. Like <laughs> yeah. 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 Definitely not yeah. that. Um, it's interesting because uh, in in the uh, Hindu scriptures and also in the Sikh scripture, the Guru Granth Sahib, the Hindus we call it the Unhad Nad, and the Sikhs call it the Unhad Shabad, and literally it kind of is talking about these sounds that are they call it celestial but yeah basically it's beyond our human comprehension so what you're talking about i actually kind of vibe with because it's a common practice that you should be able to tap into the unheard shabbat um unheard shabbat and basically mm. that's like um a lot of gurus use that to see if you're actually getting closer to becoming one with the form. fireworks. Oh, no. oh yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's meant to be. It's pretty uh, funny. Uh, yeah. Um, how how that even knew what to do? That's I had Shabbat. Yeah, yeah. I had Shabbat just created <laughs> fireworks. So, um, so yeah, um, yeah. That's what. Sorry. Um, so yeah, the, I mess you up. No, no, no. Um, but basically, it's used as a tool to say that you're getting close to that oneness. And you it's can a feel good that. time. Mm. If you can hear that sound, I think what you called the original language, yeah. you get in there, the type of thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It, it, and it makes sense. Like, logically, I think it makes sense. When you're, like, when I say logically, in terms of how the spiritual journey is meant to be and uh, kind of prescribed if we follow a particular tradition. That's a question. Um, do you feel like there's a value for tradition, uh, like following a particular lineage, or do you feel that everyone has their own path, but then are there pitfalls to that as well? Um, as much as there's ob the obvious um, positives, you know, and are there pitfalls to that? Hit me with some good ones, man. These are good. Making me think. Um, I do think there's value to lineage. There definitely was before the internet, for sure. <laughs> because that's how knowledge was preserved. There, yeah. The only way it, it could be preserved is pretty much through a long game of telephone, through initiated yeah. <laughs> individuals, right? <laughs> we didn't have the internet. We didn't have record keeping like that. We had books, but it wasn't the same. Yeah. And in lineage, like, how do I put this? it preserves knowledge that originally came from the source, right? So when I see a monk, especially a Buddhist monk, I see Buddha. 
because mm-hmm. really what's that what that is supposed to be is a link maybe like 100 200 links i don't know the exact number but 200 links all the way to the buddha's original dharma and each time the link, the chain link was made was one person originally started with Buddha that said, yep, you have the ability, you have my go ahead, my okay to preserve this Dharma and spread it on to others and also initiate others in the process. That's so powerful. That's some, that's so, that's some Jedi stuff right there. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I believe that is the uh, importance of lineage is preserving original dharma because if not then it gets muddy you know there's so much bs of spirituality on the internet it's like and even before the internet there's just anyone could be spiritual anyone can call themselves a monk but to have a lineage of tradition preserves just like truth really truth Mm -hmm. is something that is transmitted through generation to people to people to people and um yeah you don't you don't need it. You don't need to have, you don't need to be a monk for sure uh, in order to have that knowledge bestowed upon you. But I do believe to have that knowledge preserved for all of humanity, we do need to have a lineage where people initiate each other. Because if everybody can just, if everybody can just kind of spew forth the Dharma I don't know. It could get uh, misconstrued. It can get lost in literal translation. It can get lost in interpretation. There's just so much wonkiness that could come from it. And I think that's happening, to be honest with you. I do believe that's happening. So, moral of the story, actually, how do I, how do I tie this all together? Because it was kind of a two-pronged question. Tradition mm-hmm. is important. Lineage is very important. But also, we live in a beautiful time where you don't need to, you don't need that at all, to be honest with you. But you have to have a keen eye, the whispers of intuition to lead you along the way. Because if not, you will get sucked into pseudo-spirituality and just BS, to keep it frank. So if you don't have that, then I don't know what to tell you. I would approach a monk. I would approach people like that. If you like, if you don't know where to start, yeah, go to people that know what they're talking about, or at least seem like they know what they're talking about. Go to people that, you know, monks, if you can, there's plenty online, there's plenty. And that's how I see them. Like when I approach monks and talk to monks, I'm like, okay, these are people of the Dharma. I'm going to approach them and try to just be a, a genuinely curious inquisitor when I'm with them. And I've come to find, I used to be intimidated by monks because I'm like, what are they? Like, you know, they're like Jedi, like I said, but I've come to find that they love to do that because that is literally their job. That is their Dharma. That is their sadhana here. They are the preservers of the Dharma. And also they just want to get the message out. They want to spread the Dharma because they have been initiated to do so. Um, so if you are on the internet, I would recommend this personally. If you are on the internet, you are seeking genuine truth. See if you can find some initiated monks, initiated people, and start there. So it's both. You can do this yourself, but it can get messy. So do it yourself, but when you're doing it yourself, find a lineage. 
yeah so <laughs> that's, that's nice. <laughs> yeah yeah no, i mean uh, the reason why i asked that because you must have interviewed people who probably will be like there's no need for a lineage or for sure there's, there's um you know everyone has their own inter- it's, a, it's a good um spiritual bypassing way of when people say everyone has their own journey um yeah so it's kind of like that's why i was asked a question because how do you kind of when you come across people like that when you interview them how do you like kind of uh, do you ever like probe into that a bit or do you think it's something best not to be touched type of thing probe into what like why they feel that they don't need to be part of a lineage and why that is oh. why they think lineages are messy you know they they can be a totally other side to this mm, it's a good question yeah I don't know if I've ever asked anybody that. I've never really, I don't really probe like that. I just let people have their opinion. You know, I don't try to yeah. challenge, but I'm trying to understand like why someone would think like that. I think it's just a lack of understanding within themselves of what the Dharma truly is. Hmm. And because you can learn a lot without a lineage for sure, but I feel as though you're just missing something. You're just like, you're not. I don't know, you're just because I wasn't on that wavelength. I wasn't always talking to monks. I wasn't always reading the Upanishads and the Gita and the Tao Te Ching and stuff like that. I wasn't reading the classics. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like I got into spirituality, like I said, through meditation, but then it was just through from there, you know, um my jhana yoga took over, right? And I yeah. went onto the internet and it didn't start with going to a lineage. I don't know how it started. Yeah, just regular people talking about it online. I guess it's just regular YouTubers talking spirituality using certain buzzwords and parroting. And it that only goes so far. Like it gets you there. It's better than not, I guess. You know, mm-hmm. it's better than just talking about the Yankees, I guess. Yeah. I'm not hating on that, but I'm just saying like, uh, <laughs> you know, it's better than nothing. But it only goes so far because there's something special about someone who lives the Dharma. Because monks, man, I revere them so much. I revere them so much. They not only know their stuff off the top of their head, they live their stuff. That is their life. Their whole life is the ritual. Their life is the Dharma, like I said. So you're not getting that from somebody, just some random YouTuber online. You're not... Like there's a missing link there and it's that they're not really living the Dharma and not necessarily, I'm not saying everybody has to become a monk right? to become, uh, you know, someone that has is worthy of knowledge. It's not, it's, it's hard because we're talking to generalities here, you know, yeah. everybody's yeah. different. Everybody who you resonate with is going to be different from who I resonate with. So it's hard to say. But in a general sense, very general sense, monks just know what they're talking about because they walk the walk, you know, they don't just talk about it. It's not just theory. It's like they're really living that life. They're living the Dharma, as I said. So, um, yeah, it's hard to talk in generalities like that. But I would say there's a very large correlation of um, monks that, just know what they're talking about <laughs> that are aligned with truth. Yeah. It's, it's not a causation yeah. for sure. There's definitely some wonky monks for sure. Like it doesn't, it's not a guarantee, but it's definitely a correlation between solid knowledge, uh, solid uh, wisdom. 
Yeah, yeah. No, I'm with you because I think it's interesting. Um, you know, the few uh, wonky monks, as you talk, as you mentioned, <laughs> uh, they they are few and far between, actually. Um, when you mm-hmm. think about it, yeah, the the most decent ones, yeah, they're not going to be in your face. Uh, they're going to be there on YouTube, but you're going to have to search for it. Um, yeah, and yeah, you know, for example. Like a Ramana Rishi in India is not in Rishikesh or Haridwar or uh, Delhi or Mumbai. He uh, he is in some remote place in southern India. Yeah, you know, like so uh, uh, using that analogy for the same thing with the internet. I mean, you know, you, the genuine ones maybe are not what the algorithm wants to present you with. You have that's to, for sure. You have to bypass the algorithm. Uh, that's that's the sure, highways yeah. of uh, that's the highways of India. Um, but yeah, um, but yeah, I, I, I'm totally with you on that. I think sometimes people get too anti-guru, and or and it's just. I think that it's understandable. Yeah, it is understandable if you've been burned, but a lot of people haven't been yeah. burned and. Yeah. They cook up. They cook up someone else's story as their own, um, which mm-hmm. again I think can trap you. Uh, yeah. and, and what tends to happen, I find, is if people haven't actually gone through that path, they um, like have actually gone to a teacher and learned. Uh, if they read somewhere that you know something bad has happened, they'd be like, they're like speak from it from the microphone like from the loudspeaker and just be like booming that uh, kind of mm-hmm. a thing and i find that's a bit sad sometimes um but I, again i say a majority of people i know are more open uh especially now again with youtube i think it's opened the floodgates where you can get a few really nice swamis who've got popular And I think he's done some service into showing that not everyone is a charlatan. Some are pretty cool. Um, Some are actually pretty funny. Um, Yeah. So it's it's kind of interesting. Um, Mm. Is there any one, any teachers, uh, you know, maybe two or three that you feel have really made a strong impact on you? And what is it about them? or their teachings that created that impact? You mean with the good ones? Um, you have some good questions. Mm. Well, all of my teachers are not in their body anymore. Mm-hmm. Like ones that I revered that really, you know, solid me along this path. They're, they came and went. You could still say they're here in their word, but they came and went. Number one is Ram Dass. For sure. Ram Dass, something about his eloquence and his humor, like you said. Yeah. Something about humor in a teacher. They got to be funny, somewhat funny. Because it's like when you start to take them a little too seriously and what they're saying a little too seriously, they throw a good joke in there, let you, you know, weight off your shoulders, let you take it all less seriously. That's important. It's very important. And I think it's important so that you don't mistake the finger pointing at the moon mm. for the moon. I think there's something about humor that lets you, you know, there's something that just says, ah, no, I'm not the answer. There's something about a good joke, yeah, good teacher with humor. 
But um, yeah, so it was Ramdas. Who else? One that is not associated with yoga, uh, Terrence McKenna. Mm-hmm. He's up there. Who else, man? Who else? There's definitely a list. I have a list of masters. Let me actually, let me take yeah. a few seconds. I have a list of masters just because I wanted to make one one day. That's pretty cool. Influential teachers. Let's see. Let's see if I can find it real quick. Sorry. This is a no, intermission. No. It's brought yeah. to you by. <laughs> <laughs> you can buy this. Yogi I got it. So this yeah. is this is my list of masters. 19. I have 20. I never got to number 20. It's like I have the 20, but I never like <laughs> I never put the name in. I guess I'm just trying to think of one. All right, here we go. Ramdas, Buddha, Alan Watts, Swami Satyananda, Yogananda, and the whole Kriya lineage. I like to think of them as like one, you know, mm-hmm. like Yogananda's whole lineage. Mm-hmm. Thich Nhat Hanh, Sri Aurobindo, Jesus, Swami Sivananda, Swami Vivekananda, Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa, Lao Tzu, Terence McKenna, Judu, Krishnamurti, mm-hmm. Mana Maharashi, Nishragata Maharaj, Aldous Huxley, Eckhart Tolle, and Muji. And that's my nice. list. It's work nice. in progress. I think it's nice. a solid list. That's a pretty good <laughs> list. That's a very good some list. Some of them, Muji's still alive. I said some of them aren't in their body. Muji and Eckhart Tolle. I think those are the only two guys that I, yeah. s- I and said. And did you say Swami Sivananda? Sivananda. Oh, Sivananda. Yeah, he's passed away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The- yeah mm-hmm. yeah he's passed um yeah his um uh his uh commentary on the brahma sutras are pretty good um i, I really like them yeah it's, it's pretty it's quite comprehensive but it's pretty good you're um, quite learned you're you have read many texts quite intimidated um, in that way no you no, know, no you've no. read stuff that i haven't read <laughs> no, sometimes but again um Although, yeah, I may have read a bit, but uh, I always feel like there's still so much more I could read. Like, I still mm-hmm. feel like I've read nothing mm-hmm. compared to... Like, there's an ocean ahead of me, and I've, I'm have i still collecting shells, you know? Yeah. And that's what I feel like. Um, yeah. But, yeah. Are you going to write your own book? Well, you know, I've written two poetry books, um, but I kind of want to do a third one because I feel like I've again evolved so much since then um some evolution could be good or bad Uh, you know i think there's both in that um but yeah i think and now i've got a newborn so now i've been thinking oh if i want to i want to introduce him to spirituality how can i do it in a simple way so he doesn't get confused how Um, old he's four months um this your first son first son First child, one, yeah. First child, yeah. Wow. So he's triggered that That's thought awesome. that I want to create a book um, that is going to kind of explain the basics, only the basics at the foundation, because the yeah. rest of it he has to find by himself, mm-hmm. you know, with the aid of a teacher mm-hmm. and a, a proper lineage or whatever he chooses. But that should just be the foundation. So he doesn't get confused when he gets on that mm. terrain. Um, mm-hmm. He can use his discernment, his Vivek, quite well. Mm. And that's big in today's day. I mean, if it's too big today, imagine what it's going to be like in 10, 20 years. I mean, he yeah, knows right. what it's going to look like. So, mm. yeah. Hopefully exemplified, hopefully to the nth degree of where it is now. 
Um, yeah. But it's up to us, up to us creators to be the shining example for the next generation. Not even us creators, us as parents. I truly believe that's how we change the world, you know, because podcasts and books really aren't going to change people's mind. They can help guide for sure. But really how we change, it's how we change, how we change the world is through our upbringing. Yeah. Our upbringing of our children. I believe that's really where this all comes from. Because imagine, I don't know, I've definitely asked you about your path, but I forget to be honest. But I imagine for myself, I could easily have been on this wavelength if I had the guidance from an early age. You know, if Mm. my parents led me there, which they didn't. If my community led me there, which it didn't. Can you imagine, well, I imagine not having to go through the struggle, not having to go through those mental ailments that I talked about. You know, not having to suffer to get aligned with God. Mm. Imagine you're just born. That's such good karma to be born. <laughs> not trying to, you know, not trying to um, toot your horn here, but it's such good karma to be born in a yogic household. I, I can't imagine. Like you're, uh, it's a blessing. Seriously, to be to be uh, to be able to be guided from that age. I can't imagine. He's gonna be a superhuman, you know. Uh, well. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. I mean, mm-hmm. um, he. But it's what you said is quite interesting, uh, and what what I found actually, like even if someone is brought up in a really you know, kind of strong spiritual household, it can go the other way. Like yeah, um, also. and and also you people. What I've also started to discover is it doesn't get rid of um, the kind of people getting depression or getting mental ailments, uh, Mm -hmm. even if they have that spiritual teaching. In fact, sometimes it can do the opposite. People can become blind to the truth that's right in front of them. Hidden in plain sight. Yeah. And Mm. and or they take it too lightly. And um, very true. Yeah, it's almost like you don't know any better because you haven't known any different. Like, yeah. This is it. Yeah. This is it. This is my life. And you don't... Yeah, that is true. I could see why it would be like... You wouldn't want anything to do with it because that's all you know. So I guess there is an importance of guidance in any fast. It doesn't have to be your children. Guiding somebody, but only if they want to be guided. Like yes. don't force it. If you force yeah. your children onto the path, you're not doing them any service. Ultimately, even if they are your children, we all have to do it ourselves. Like you, you ultimately all you have to have your own inclination within to follow this pursuit of yes. the path. Yeah, no one's gonna do it for you, even if it's your dad. Yeah, like, <laughs> but there is the pressure, and I think the pressure is always this. And and, it, and it, eventually, when you probe into like people and you inquire. But why oh. the fireworks keep going on? I don't know what's <laughs> going on here. Um, I think the main thing that happens is um, the parents aren't living the teaching. Mm-hmm. And that is the biggest mm. uh, kind of uh, kind of kind of reason I know a lot of my friends have kind of backed up and said, I don't believe in this because of my parents are hypocrites and it's like interesting wow uh, interesting. so I, and it's actually a real big thing i find it's so easy to be a hypocrite in the spiritual path oh, i mean yeah. it's 
I mean, I hate when people say, oh, it's all about love and truth, but the path towards being towards hypocrisy is so freaking easy. Mm -hmm. It's unbelievable. Well, we're talking general out generalities, obviously. So I do believe if you are not faking it and you're not a hypocritical parent, like you're really true, true yogis, which is, yeah, that's rare. That's rare. I think that's actually in the Bhagavad Gita. I'm pretty sure there's a passage where if you're born to um, yogi parents, that's some really good karma, man. Yeah. Really good karma. Yeah. So that, if you are true. truly born in that household, I think it's a blessing for sure. But it could be, if not in a good household, a blessing in disguise. I'm sorry, not a blessing in disguise. Um, a blessing that is a facade. It's not really like because the, they're living a facade. The parents are living a fake yogic life, a fake spiritual life. I could yeah. definitely see that for sure. But if, if you're real, like if you're real, if you're really aligned, which I don't even know what that looks like. I don't think I've ever met any true yogic parents, to be honest with you. Maybe you're the first. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but if you really are aligned, I think it is truly a blessing. Uh, it's just, obviously, it's hard to talk in generalities like that. There's 7 yeah. billion people on earth. So it's yeah. hard to say. And, uh, I, I think you're... Um... I think you're right. I mean, uh, it's definitely uh, well, what he said in the Gita is very true. And I, you know, me and my wife, we struggled to um, conceive. Uh, There's no reason, you know, we were trying for a couple of years. But one day I read that passage uh, in the mm-hmm. Gita and I was like, you know what? Whenever nature feels that a child is ready to be born in this house, it's going to happen. And we, and yeah. nothing in the world can stop that from happening. Mm-hmm. And, um, and maybe it is a really like now in, inside I feel it. I never say it, I never express it, but I think, yeah, that must be a special Jeev or an Atma that's coming to our house and I've got to serve him. You know, not the other way around where, you know, I'll mm. go be the high and mighty dad and, you know. Yeah, yeah. Gone is that type of old. But now he's like, I've got to really, like, serve him properly. And, yeah. um, and you know, and, and I think I made conscious choices to ensure none of the generational trauma gets passed um, from you know, whatever I had to deal with was my, was my baggage. It's not, it's not got nothing to do with him and he should yeah. not uh, bear the burden of that. Uh, That's huge. So That's huge. it's, it's constant work. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's, I think it's necessary. Um, absolutely necessary. Yeah. Um, That's, uh, that service, <laughs> that service right there, man. The yoga of parenting. That's a whole other level. <laughs> yeah, I can't um, imagine. I don't know. Uh, I don't have any children, so I don't know that feeling. Like, would I've heard this plenty of times? Like, you you don't know until you have a kid. Like, do you do you feel that now with a four month old? Is there something about when you actually have the child? Like, there is something that is almost instilled in you that you didn't feel before you had your child. Yeah, you know, I yeah. have spoken about this. Um, but the moment he was born, mm. I knew what unconditional love actually felt like. That's powerful, man. That's like, crazy. I could, like, can I actually search for it? Like, I, I tried to find the beginning of this love. 
and I couldn't. What about when you first knew that your wife was pregnant? Did, did you have that feeling? I think it was... It, is, it doesn't feel real to you hold him Jeez. in your oh, yeah, or okay. her in your arms mm. and you're like, oh, That's crazy. this is, this is, um, this is a gift. And, yeah. and that's the way I saw it. And I still see it despite the amount of diapers I've changed. And, and all that. <laughs> uh, yeah. But that's the yoga. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I just, that's one thing. I really felt like I now understood what unconditional love felt like. And I can actually not just limit it to him. I can now share that mm. everywhere. And I think that means that every parent possibly has access to this. It's just about whether they are in tuned to that feeling. Um, yeah. I think every, every parent will feel that unconditional love, but whether to transfer that to and share that to the world is a conscious choice, I feel, not something that's naturally... I think because we're not... We are hardwired... Well, I believe we are hardwired to give unconditional love, but we have learned to only limit our love to our circle type of thing. Mm -hmm. So that's the yeah, boundary tribe. you keep yourself in. So um, Yeah. Our family. Yeah. Yeah. So... Yeah. And you always have that special affection with your family, you know, but uh, you know, you'll always give that special attention to them, but that doesn't mean that your love is less for a stranger on the road. You know, yeah. it's it's just different. Um, but yeah, that's what that, that's the one feeling. Um, and me and me and my little boy Krish, we we had this thing of we, at night time we'll read the well we'll listen to the nirvana shatakam of adi shankara in in sanskrit and oh, then we'll do our personal mantra prayer and um and then he falls asleep to that so it's kind That's of amazing. it's it's a beautiful ritual that I, I yeah i love and he smiles when he hears the music come on like he knows oh this is coming even though it's bedtime and i'm sure he hates bedtime but um but like it's it's really nice to see, you know, when I say to him, you know, Shivoham, Shivoham, he just smiles. It's just, it's, it's, it's really amazing. Mm. Oh man, that's, that's powerful stuff. I mean, some say that children, I've heard stories of, um, how do I put this? Like children just saying mantra, Sanskrit mantras, they just know them. Somehow, some way. And if there are multiple lives, like they're more tuned in with that source. And we said that Sanskrit is tuned in to source. Uh I don't know. It makes sense. Like they're they're able to draw on this residual memory, the mind of the mind a little easier because they're just closer to it. You know, they're more pure beings. Because we're all there. We just get uh we get all right, we get I was going to say dirtied, dirtied <laughs> along the way, impure, right? Yeah. We just got to, we got to purify ourselves to be able to see that it's always there. But the children, they're, they, like, if you're truly, you know, a, a children is, is pure consciousness, essentially. They're, they're the most pure form of consciousness that we can see in the material mm -hmm. form. So, like, they must just naturally resonate with that stuff. If there is some truth to the resonance and frequency of Sanskrit, 
there's got to be something to children just loving that naturally. There's got to be. I don't know. Maybe yeah. uh, maybe I'm just a little. I don't know. Maybe it's got to be. <laughs> it's got to be right. Yeah. No. No. Yeah. I think you're right. I mean, a lot of the uh, a lot of teachers um, and a lot of spiritual thought is that a child comes in more or less with less baggage uh, because then we accumulate more baggage as we grow older. Um, yeah. So yeah, they come in with that. Uh, and also they don't have any past to remember. Yeah, everything mm-hmm. else is just muscle mm-hmm. memory. Uh, if you look at it physically, but in terms of actual memory that we keep that is sentimental and emotional, that's something that we kind of get at, at a later age. And so, yeah, they have that ability. And I guess it's, those are the formative years, maybe, you know, what we're talking about, so, about yeah. getting, you know, giving the right introduction. That mm-hmm. is formative years. After that, then it's kind of like, yeah, you just have to kind of work it out and you'll get there type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely the formative years for everybody. Yes. That serves as a foundation for everything else in our life. It's our childhood and our upbringing. Yes. It's interesting because it's, most of it is not up to us. It's not up to our will. It's just something that we're, you know, <laughs> just happens to us. Yeah. Our childhood, everything, yeah, just happens to us. Yeah, yeah man. That makes me believe in karma even more. Like yeah. how much our childhood and our upbringing affects who we are as individuals and how we live the dharma, how it comes to us makes me believe that there's not a lot how do i put this i was gonna say we don't have a lot of say in it you know there's we're just kind of kind of strung along Hmm. in samsara we're strung along through our karma and childhood is seems to be like our upbringing seems to be somewhere where a lot of us reap karma very quickly you know, like a lot of us reap the cause and effect of karma, the effects. If there are previous lives that we create causes from, it seems to be our childhood is somewhere where the effects really come into being. Hmm. Yes. Yes. So I, uh, I would like to ask you, no, those wonderful thoughts and deep, profound thoughts. But like, have you felt that in your own spiritual journey, has it been very conflicting with your family or have they been very supportive? Because it's not, you've gone towards the East and you appear as uh, someone from the West. So, um, <laughs> so how does, um, yeah. And how's that been for you? I mean, is it, is it easy as people make it out to be, or is it pretty challenging? Um, for the family life, they don't understand. I tried mm-hmm. to be uh, evangelical about it in the beginning because ultimately, I felt how, yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> I think it's just the byproduct because I felt how good I felt. So I'm like, I just want to bring everybody along, but it's not that easy. You can't just, you know, it's not that easy. Like we said before, you have to bring yourself to the path. Nobody else is really going to do it for you, and you can't force it upon anybody. So, um, yeah, my family don't, they don't really understand. I'm still very close with them, but they just unconditionally love me either way. They probably just think I'm onto some craziness. Maybe <laughs> I am to a certain extent, <laughs> but they don't, they don't have any idea about what, 
they have no inclination toward yogic philosophy, unfortunately. Um, maybe someday, who knows? Maybe that's just not how it was meant to be. You know, it's not yeah. in the cards. That's yeah. not how the cards were dealt. But um, yeah. they're fully supportive and they fully love me. And that's really all that matters. Unconditional love. Yes. You know, that's really all that matters, you know. Um, so it's, it hasn't really been difficult, to be honest. Maybe there are some misunderstandings along the way on why I do what I do. But at the end of the day, um, it doesn't, I don't, I was going to say, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter, man. Yeah, it doesn't matter what they think. Mm. I just, I do what I do and they love me. I love them and that's it. And yeah, it's as simple as that. I definitely have uh, been blessed with a supportive family for sure. As in like supportive, not in the sense of my sadhana, but supportive just in being present, you know, just being good people. You know, good yeah. people. You can be a good person and not be into yogic philosophy. Yeah, exactly. So just good people. And uh, that's all that matters to me. You know, that's really yeah. all that matters. So, yeah, that's really yeah. nice. And that's, that's what matters, I think. Even, even like, for example, that's, it's interesting you say that because I just think of, I, I've been to so many, like I went to houses in India and every member of the family believed in a different deity or believed in <laughs> and you know if someone believed in like say krishna someone believed in ram someone believed mm-hmm. and they'd be you know or hanumanji and everyone would be like kind of <laughs> arguing amongst each other who's the best deity so i think it you know you can also have the the other side to it so uh, i think it's as long as there's that underlying love and respect i think yeah that's brilliant i mean what more do you want it gets challenging when I guess from uh, I'll bring it back to like kind of ourselves is when we feel that they are wrong. I think when that happens, uh, that's when spiritual ego kind of takes over and mm-hmm. it doesn't matter if we're part of the yogic philosophy or non-yogic, we have faltered right there and then. Yeah. yeah. They're wrong for being them. Yeah. Very true. Know. The best way to go about it um, is unconditionally love them back. That's it. Yeah. So just be there for them. Don't try to like put who you are onto them. It doesn't work like that. Yeah. And that's where another, where I get into past lives. It's like, I most likely was a yogi in a past life built upon this sort of foundation of past lives. And then I was born into this family. That is not on the path. They probably weren't on the, maybe, but they're not in this one. Um, And that's the thing we have to deal with is like, even if you're in a family, like a a genetic material family, you're still dealing with like other people's karma, other people's Mm. past lives. And that's where it can get really messy. I think just because you're born into somebody's family doesn't mean they're going to align with your karma in a way that is yogic. Like it may be like, you know, obviously like you obviously align somehow with the karma, the cause and effect of it all. But it might, you might not have been in the same monastery (laughs) in a previous life just because somebody is your mom or your dad. And working with that is a yoga as well. Like working with that, like how do I love these people even though they don't? (laughs) How do I see these people as God? Ultimately, that's the goal, right? See people as God in drag, even if they don't know they're God, (laughs) even if they have no inclination toward that whatsoever. That's not even just your parents, but everybody, Yeah, you know, the, the intermingling of all of our karma. That's the, that's the work, yes. right? 
Yes. That's why we go on and do all this stuff so that we can at all times, hopefully, ideally see people as God and drag and unconditionally love them. It's as simple as that. I'm pretty sure we've all heard that before, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> love is the answer, but that's really what it comes down to, man. We do all this work. We go on the path, all of the meditation, all of the books, all of the reminders so that we can remind ourselves that, yes, we are a part, a fragment of God, but not just us. That's a sense of solipsism. Everybody else, too, they're in on it, even if they don't know they're in on it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's it. That's really what it comes down to. You have to stay on that wavelength as much as possible, whatever you got to do, whatever you got to do to get there, to have that recognition. Go with that. That's what, that's what I say. Nice, nice. Yeah, man. You mentioned group kirtan, and so I wanted to kind of go into, um, do you have, um, obviously from the interviews that you do, your YouTube channel, Conscious Perspectives, and um, do you have you created community from that, and how has that been for you? And, and do you find that creating a, a, a true spiritual community can be challenging in today's times? Um, I haven't really created that much of a community other than my channel. Like I have that serve as the community, but nothing like a virtual sangha. I do have mm -hmm. a discord, not very active in there. Got s maybe 30 members, very low key. I don't advertise it. So I haven't created a community of discourse per se. Mm -hmm. um, I just have the YouTube channel serve as that in the comment section and the community section. So not really kind of getting there i know there's definitely people that are a lot more in depth with um their presence in a community such as discord or maybe forums um mm -hmm. i haven't felt the need to do that i don't know why i don't really feel like that is beneficial for me or anybody i don't know why i just figure like just leave a youtube comment <laughs> yeah something. yeah like yeah. i don't i don't know why that's just not maybe in the future for sure um, I think because I'm, there's a part of me that's afraid to have people see me as the guru or the leader of the commune per se. Mm -hmm. I don't want that. I, I don't want that at all. Even though I know my YouTube channel is named after me, I don't want necessarily people approaching me with questions because I just don't feel as though that's my sadhana. That's not my service here. Like to be the question and answer guy. There's plenty of others out there like that. I will if people do approach me, and sometimes people do, but I don't want to like actively create that. I don't know why. There's something in me. It's like, don't, I don't know. Maybe it's because I do it to check my own ego. Like, uh, mm -hmm. I don't feel maybe not integrated enough to be able to have that responsibility. Mm. Who knows? Who knows? But on talking on the importance of community, I do believe community is very important. So even if you don't find a community with me, even though I do have a low key community on through my channel, but I do believe it's important to tap in with other people and have discourse with other people in any form of community that you find just because, um, I don't know. It's just good. Discourse is good. There's the three jewels of Buddhism, right? It's the Buddha, the Dharma and the Sangha. Yeah. <laughs> Can't negate that one. So I do believe community is extremely important in this path. I, my community is the people like my person, like people that I view as communities, people that I just come on here and speak with in the conversations just like this. But yeah. having one that is centered around me, mm, I don't know, that's scary to me. I don't yeah. know. I don't want like to me to be the guy, you know, because I, I don't know. 
I just I just see how it could get could get a little messy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So no, not yet. It's interesting because um, obviously I've tried to. I mean, you make you make that conscious effort to try and bring it about the, um, say, the podcast, or you know, um, it's not about me, the person. Uh, and I remember I used to do a lot of lives. Obviously, life has changed where I can't do any TikTok lives or YouTube lives and stuff. But I used to get people on. They'd be like, "Oh, are you a guru?" And I'm like, "No." Uh-huh. I mean, uh-huh. I have a guru, so why would I be a guru myself? And two, <laughs> I don't. I'm not comfortable with that either. Like I feel, yeah. again, I'm not, uh, I'm only, uh, whatever I'm teaching is only what I've learned so far. And I believe there's a lot more that I can share uh, mm-hmm. and that's, um, and, and learn along the way. So mm-hmm. it's like, if I'm, if I'm someone who's learning and still kind of, um, <laughs> trying to progress and trying to get to the ultimate stage of liberation, uh, yeah. how can, how can you see me as as a, a guru? And so I'm very, and the thing is, the the worst thing is, the moment you put yourself on a pedestal, mm. it's very, you make the the one, you make that one uh, kind of, um, you make that one exception to the rule, then you've you, you've opened the floodgates. Um, yeah. So I think it's least, yeah, you have to make that conscious choice. Yeah, man. At least you're mature enough to see that. And that you don't want to do that yourself. Like you're like, you're two steps ahead of yourself. You you have to, you have to, man. Like, um, like I have Patreon and everything and it is centered. Like I can see it's centered around me and my content, but again, it's the content that's speaking, not me. I mean, I am only there because of the content. The Mm -hmm. moment the content goes, I do not exist. Yeah. I think, (laughs) um, I think, uh, once that's set in your brain, um, and once people also know that you're part of a lineage and you have a guru and you, uh, I think people then naturally stop, um, kind of trying to actually people are trying to like, kind of give you the pump, right. They're trying to like kind of prop mm-hmm. you up. And, um, I think that lessens and I don't get that anymore. Um, which is good. Um, I get a lot more people who just want to be my friend. I'm like, I can help you as a friend. Yeah. That's better off. I'm Mm -hmm. more comfortable helping you as a friend. Um, Mm -hmm. because if I give you advice, it can be wrong. And Mm -hmm. like a friend, you have to forgive me. Um, and, um, (laughs) and I will apologize. I have to say, sorry. Mm -hmm. I think, but I think there's a place for people like us who are, in the like intermediary position type of thing. Um, you know, we're, yeah. we're not monks, but at the same time, uh, we are kind of the, I would say like we're the, like, I like to see myself as someone who is like this. I would like to be, I would say the, the first good step. And, and basically someone's going to lift you up. Yeah. And like, like an introduction. Yeah, like a good introduction yeah. and there's someone better yeah. than me. I, I approach it in the same way. Yeah, here's yeah. someone yeah. way more eloquent than I am. Yeah, <laughs> go yeah. to them. Um, <laughs> exactly. Exhaust as much as me as you can. And then, and and I'm open to say I, I have my limitation. I have a yeah. boundary. 
Um, mm-hmm. So you have to kind of um, do that. And when you have Q&As, like especially in those, you have to make sure you set the... Um, it's something Rupert Spira said. I really liked it. He it was in one of his webinars and he said um, that when you ask me a question, yes, I'm the teacher. But when I, if I ask you a question and you have to answer, you're now the teacher, I'm now the student. And I like that. I was like, mm. yeah, man, the guy could be a real deal here because he's just said that. Nobody really likes to say stuff like that. Uh, yeah. If they want to make it big as a, a non-dual teacher. <laughs> so, mm. um, mm-hmm. so, yeah, it's it's interesting. So I think seeing yourself as a friend is probably more beneficial mm. than uh, someone seeing you as a teacher, I think. I or seeing me one yeah. teacher. Not the way that means just seeing yourself as equal. Yeah. yeah. I mean... Like just because you're a subscriber doesn't mean I'm better than you or you're a follower of me doesn't mean I'm yeah. better. Like seeing yourself as equal to everybody else is very important. Yes. Yeah. And ultimately, uh, the philosophy that I follow is that we're all this one formless entity, pure consciousness. Yeah. So how can I even be better than you? It, it will go against the philosophy yeah. that I believe in. Yeah. You know, it, it, so it's like that philosophy yeah. doesn't allow me to, that philosophy has liberated me at the same time has kept me in a nice boundary. Uh, mm. uh, a boundary that I know is an illusion, but only I should know it's an illusion. Nobody else. Uh, it's nobody <laughs> else's business. Um, uh-huh. but, um, mm. but yeah, it's, kind of cool but i was interested to ask you because like you've interviewed so many people and you know the the interviews i've watched personally have been like kind of i feel because you're quite centered the other person naturally kind of grabs that vibe um i think so sometimes it takes a little bit (laughs) by the half an hour mark and like all right (laughs) (laughs) but like um, but yeah, uh, but, and I've seen kind of, and you ask from a place of wanting to know more, a desire to kind of, uh, progress yourself. And I think when that happens, yeah. you, I think, you know, I think that's why I was like, you must have a community around him. And I wonder what that's like, um, you know, cause you say cool stuff in the interviews too. So it's not, you know. Um, I say cool stuff in interview. Oh, yeah. <laughs> in your in your in yeah, your yeah. podcast, sometimes yeah. here and there, a trick <laughs> yeah. in there. Some yeah. Stuff. Um, well, on the note of why I don't want to like have any sort of community that I tap in with regularly, it's because I still do feel as though I'm learning. Like I am genuinely curious and learning when I come on here. It's not just some kind of show. Like when I bring somebody on, I'm like, all right, well, they're the guru, and I'm going to learn mm-hmm. from them. And Mm. that's how I approach every single interaction. So I don't feel like, uh, I don't feel like my dharma here, my service here is to be the guru. Uh, Mm. My guruship, if you want to call me a guru, is to be almost like the the curious mind of the listener Mm. and follow that. That's it. Like I'm the one that asks questions. I don't exactly know how to answer stuff sometimes. It's very hard to answer stuff because you have to answer from a place of generality. And that's very Mm. tough because everybody has their own subjective experience. So it's hard to answer. I really do find it 
hard to answer some questions. Um, so at this point in time, yeah, I just approach my path is just approaching it as a seeker. And I know people hate to say that word, but just a spiritual seeker and going yeah. with that, just gen- genuinely genuine questioning what this person is about and keeping at that. That's as simple as that, man. And uh, there is some kind of community that is formed around that, but not in the sense that like a commune. I'm not starting a commune anytime soon. <laughs> <you know? laughs> yeah, that would yeah. Uh, yeah, that, that would definitely uh, yeah. get headlines. Yeah, it's the cult of Gary. <laughs> uh, yeah, I want to not go down that. I want to avoid that as much as possible. You know, I don't want that at all. Just want to yeah. be the guy. Like, you follow me. It's like hands off. Like, I approach my creation as very hands off. Like, I'm just, I'm doing me. <laughs> I'm mm. doing me and just throwing it out there. You guys can follow me. And that may seem like a little shallow. But that's so that I avoid the complex of like, I'm important. Look at me. I make YouTube videos. You don't. I'm cool. You're not. Mm. I don't want to get involved with that. It's very, maybe because I know my own ego. So I do that to check myself. But that's just, that's just how, uh, where I feel that I'm at in the process right now. So I avoid the cult of Gary. <laughs> that's good. That's that's good to know. Um, also, think, two steps ahead of my ego. Yeah, Sorry. <laughs> no, I think that humility in spirituality is very much required. I think it's mm-hmm. one of the basic things we need. If we lack that humility and honesty, I I don't feel anyone can go far on the spiritual oh, yeah. path. Yeah, humility and knowing that you don't know. Yeah. Right? That's Socrates right there. Yeah. True. You have to know that you don't know, truly. That's the only thing that I could really say that I know. That's the yeah. only truth that I could really convey is that I have no idea. I have really no idea. Yeah. And, you know, the, the, the interesting thing here is if to put a Vedantic spin on that, you're the awareness that says they don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, like you're you're just that awareness that's it that says i don't know I mean, simple as that's that really man. and yeah. so how can how can anyone get an ego from just being aware it, it's impossible well pe- i'm sure people can make it a possibility but i find it <laughs> to be impossible because nothing sticks yeah. to it yeah if you're truly living that awareness then no you're not going to be inclined to have an ego but it's so like it's hard and it's not yeah. easy to do there's a reason why we revere people like ramana maharshi yeah and saints of that nature because they are there that's that's them that's yeah. them you and far between they're a saint for a reason yes there's other people that seem saintly they wear the robes they change their name yeah. they have <laughs> charisma but they're not actually acting from that place. And this is the this is the topic that I like to get into with people. It's like, all right, so now that you're here, you have this awareness, you have the sense of oneness, you have the sense of self with the uppercase S. How does that change how we see you? How do you act? Like, how does that change your will here? Because that's mm-hmm. what's really important, right? How, how we mm-hmm. change ourselves. So if you really are resonating in that frequency, the frequency of unconditional love, of God, you're way past your egotistical manifestations. Like they're not going to take a hold of you. If you're really there, it's not, you don't have to worry about 
starting a cult. It just won't happen. Not your character won't allow that to happen. You know, mm-hmm. it's um, it's just like a changing of will. Like universal will trumps the ego, mm-hmm. uh, no matter what. But it's easy to bypass that and think you are the divine holy one. Yeah, that's like the last trap, right? The spiritual yeah. trap. Yeah. That, that's that's where the guru complex comes from. Yeah, is they yeah. think they're there. They think they've mastered it all, but mm-mm, it's just the ego. It's just the ego. And that could be a really tricky trap. How do you dispel the spiritual ego when you think you've made it per se? Mm. Oh, that's tough. I feel like that's some bad karma. That's yeah, some yeah, bad that, karma. Yeah. The, I mean, the guru that is the fake guru, you know? Yeah. <laughs> do you ever get like uh, asked, are you enlightened? Hmm. The only in the comments just like, like are you I got a question one time, are you a bodhisattva? Okay. Uh, and I didn't know how to answer that. I said we're all the bodhisattva. Yeah. Um I've got one person that said you are my guru or I see you as the guru. I'm like, oh God, don't say that. <laughs> and yeah, I've gotten that. I don't think I've ever gotten are you enlightened? Because I'm usually the one asking the questions. Yeah. I never <laughs> ask that question. Don't ask that question. Don't just that's like to a real, if somebody is really enlightened, you're not gonna, you're not gonna have to ask the question. <laughs> like you'll just, yeah, you'll just yeah. know. You yeah. know there is some level of awakening or enlightenment just by how they carry themselves. Yeah. So that question is just really immature, to be honest with you. That's some yeah. like elementary stuff. But um, I don't think I've ever been asked that, to be honest. And I think it's because, uh, like I said, I'm usually the one asking questions. <laughs> yeah, I, I've <laughs> had I've had it on like uh, TikTok. What do you maybe. say? And I just said, um, of course, I would, TikTok. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, I think I may have had it once or twice on YouTube, but definitely on TikTok. Uh, I turned around and said, even if I am enlightened, I'm never telling you because it's none of your business. And, <laughs> good and I mean, it really isn't like I don't think anyone needs to know. I mean, mm. I kind of, yeah, in my household, yeah, we I joke around. And, uh, you know, I'll be like, oh, yeah, I'm the enlightened one. You know, it's like creating that whole like facade of, uh, and mocking when people think they're enlightened. Uh, <laughs> and I make jokes about that. But yeah, uh, I have learned that some of these jokes can, can, people can misunderstand it. So I have to keep my weird sense of humor sometimes, you know, just mm. to share that with my wife. But my honest feeling is always, even if I was enlightened, it doesn't matter. It really yeah. doesn't. Um, yeah. It, because what is saying it is enlightened is only name and form. And that's not even real. So. Yeah, exactly. Also, I'm like, even if I did answer yes, what difference does that make? Like, <laughs> is that person yeah, exactly. going to come by and like offer me, offer me a Rolls Royce or something? Like, yeah. <laughs> Mm-hmm. yeah right yeah what is that i don't know <laughs> like, where does that question come from i guess is a good quandary to go into like why is this person asking me if i'm enlightened like what do they want to know about that i don't know like why would you because i've never been inclined to ask that question i've never said to ask this person if they're enlightened i guess they're just not integrated enough on the path yeah it, it, it's come from i i would say it's when you know you're not enlightened but also, there's that added thing of being a keyboard warrior. So, oh, you I could, 
mm. ask that question just to kind of catch Test. someone out. Yeah. Okay. And I think I can see that. And that's, I mean, it's the most beautiful thing. <laughs> yeah. The most, the craziest thing too that can happen. Yeah. And like you said, even if we were enlightened, it's none of their business. Because once you yeah. do say, yeah, I'm enlightened, like it's nothing. Because if you really were, I guess, how else would you answer that question? You say, yeah. And you know you are. Yeah. But then from then on out, you've claimed that you are an enlightened being. So if you do something, yeah, but they're enlightened. They said they're enlightened. It's like it, yeah. it could be held against you. It's yeah. very immature to ask that. And it's not useful. It's not useful for anybody, yeah. you know. <laughs> it's, it's like you said, you can tell it from their their energy and yeah, their, their vibe. Their yeah. yeah, you can just tell mm-hmm. from oh, yeah. the moment they express something, you feel there's a higher connection of some mm-hmm. sort. And um, I think that's mm-hmm. all that matters, really. Um, yeah, yeah. But, real yeah, recognize uh, real, too. Yeah, but yeah, uh, so just to wrap up our conversation, the one thing I definitely want to ask, and I think you've answered it throughout the podcast, but I think you can sum it up nicely. Uh, What advice would you give to someone that is searching for spiritual guidance on YouTube today? On YouTube? Yeah. Don't believe everything you see on YouTube. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, there's a lot of garbage for lack of a better word, hopefully not sounding too crude, but there is a lot of garbage. There's a lot of pseudo-spirituality. You got to sift through it to find the good stuff. I like to think I create the good stuff. You create the good stuff. I like to think so. But if you don't resonate, you don't resonate. That's okay. But point of the story is you have to be able to find what you resonate with. You have to sift through it. You're going to come across some garbage, some stuff you truly don't resonate with, stuff that makes you go, huh? But don't don't let that discourage you from finding true guidance because there's real people out there. And I didn't know how many real ones, I like to call them, were out there until I started doing the podcast. But there's a lot of real people that are really earnest on the path that don't have a lot of views and they don't have a lot of subscribers you just got to find them. Like you just, I don't know how to find them. The algorithm throws in my way, search certain words, look at podcasts, especially look at my podcast. If you want to find some real people, <laughs> it's a selfish yeah, plug yeah, right there. Yeah, yeah. There's, uh, yeah. And just, if you resonate with those, like a certain person or people stay with them, stay with that and stay with that certain energy, you know, uh, real recognize real. Like I said, like attracts like, so just go with that. And, uh, yeah, that's it. I guess just find what you resonate with. Not even just on YouTube. Also in books, people in your life, all mediums of energy that you bring forth into your life. Find that subtle resonance, that subtle whisper of intuition, mm. like we said before, and that'll lead the way. Beautiful. That's Beautiful. All. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Gary. It's been wonderful having you here. Uh, this is my first of well, this Bearded Mystic Oneness conversations, and we are truly one here. I mean, we, you know, I'm, mm. I, I've really learned a lot from you today. Some things I think I'm going to like kind of really contemplate upon because there's some of the things we've talked about, especially about poetry and kind of the sounds and language yeah. has really been has really, really kind of stood out for me today. So uh, thank you for 
opening up um because you know you go through that phase where you stop reading certain things and you think uh you kind of you don't need to read that stuff anymore but mm -hmm. i feel like after uh, speaking with you i felt that actually maybe I want to revisit some of those poems that i read in the past and and see how i read them today it's a good idea so, always the student so i like to yeah. say yes absolutely let me give you a recommendation yeah upanishad's commentary or translation by urbindu i was reading this actually before we came in oh nice probably the best translation that i have read not that i've read too much but of i from what i have read that is the best translation of the upanishads nice um, yeah Arabindu is he's yeah. up there yeah he's, he's a true sage so yeah. i'd recommend yeah. that yeah no thank you and that's uh and i'm gonna read that actually i'm gonna put that as my next book to read thank you very much gary for coming on to this show coming on here and sharing your wisdom with us all and those of you that are watching um yeah subscribe to the channel but mainly before you even subscribe to mine subscribe to Gary's channel which is in the show notes and video description below thank you everyone take care namaste namaste thank you uh